0: Welcome into episode 189 of the Modern Drummer Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Dream Symbols. If you haven't already, go to dreamsymbols.com, click on the Products tab, click around, check out all the various uh, products in their catalog. They have audio samples of everything, so if you want to check out some of their crashes and rides in their more traditional Vintage Bliss Contact Energy series, um, they're there. You can also check out the Really Dry Dark Matter, um, and then have, have a listen to some of the more unique stuff like the Triads, which is three different sized three different weight hi-hat symbols in one package you can interchange them for different textures they have the ignition pack packs which are pre-packs of hi-hats crashes and rides for you know a really nice affordable price for students or teaching studios or if you just want something dependable that you can just keep you know keeping your car ready to go at any time that's the ignition pack and they have all these special effects like the lion china symbols, they have pangs. They have s- preset stackers that, you know, the bells sit perfectly well into each other. They've got hand symbols like for marching or concert percussion. They've got. Cortales, all kinds of cool stuff. So go to dreamsymbols.com, check around the products tab. Also make sure your dealer, your local dealer is aware that you might be curious and checking out some dream stuff so they can put in an order and get some stuff to your local shop. All right, so our intro beat this week is by Patrick Galligan. So this is a linear groove that he wrote for a song called Black Blue Sea by his band, The Corduroy Suit. So it's uh, based on the rack tom, kick, snare, and left foot. He's using a super deep looks like a 20 inch deep 22 inch bass drum he's got a dw brass head snare some 14 inch new beat high hats constantinople 22 inch ride he's got a dream 16 inch crash blitz the bliss series so yeah this is patrick elegant's beat all right let's get the show rolling
1: episode 189 it's getting Creepin real creep it up on 200 what are you gonna do to celebrate i don't know i feel like i feel like minel should make me a signature cowbell for the hey, year, hey. what do i get out what? of this 200 episodes what do you I get, get to you get to review the minel groove bell <laughs> and then i'll pull some strings and then you don't have to ship it back there's your $27 value. Actually, I don't know how much it is. Don't quote me on that. Please don't freak out when you go to Sam Ash or Guitar Center or Sweetwater and it's $38 or 46 How much is a cowbell? I haven't bought a cowbell in a while. I haven't bought a cowbell. About $50 in,
0: $50? Yeah, probably 20 years. I have no idea. Yeah,
1: I mean, whenever the first Dave Matthews record came out, <laughs> I got a cowbell jam block. Jam block. I, was, I never bought a jam block. I was a whole I doubt. never did either. I, I never did either. I was like, as soon as you make it something other than red or blue as soon as it doesn't look like play-doh i'll get one yeah but um, i grew up you know just like you i grew up in school bands so i grew up with tempo blocks so those are cool they're Mm. old and wood and historical and they look like giant garbanzo beans and i love them but then when i saw that that bright red thing i was like oof not my jam no pun intended how you doing buddy not too
0: bad i'm dealing with some seasonal allergies that i thought i was going to get through it this year but it hit me pretty hard
1: so the past week i've been dealing with that i'm in the exact same boat i can't tell if it's that or if it's just a little bit of a cold from the first camp of the year because you're dealing with lots of people plus you're just worn out so your immune system's a little low so i've got the uh i'm gonna do my best to not have sniffles throughout the podcast but i am a little little nasally a little Mm -hmm. sinus sinus up but I have things that make me happy, like a new <laughs> drum from Sugar Percussion. So that makes it he all better.
0: So much new drum shop. You have a vintage kit. You've got yes. a vintage snare that you haven't even talked about yet. Oof. And you've got now a brand new Sugar.
1: What? Yeah. Right, so what did he end up making for you? Uh, so it's a fourteen by six, or as some people call it, a six by fourteen <laughs> mahogany. Shell interesting, okay, not expecting that because I told him, so he sent me three, and I told him what I liked about him he didn 't tell me what woods they were i 'm pretty sure it was definitely cedar, poplar, and maybe the third one was mahogany i 'm not sure uh, I never asked, but I just knew, I knew that. The blue one was popular because he had advertised it before. And I told him what I liked in them, and then he picked a wood. But from what he said, this is a very special piece of mahogany that has sonic characteristics that were closer to what I like than just an average piece of mahogany. It also happens to have almost some like curl to it the way like curly maple wood so it's a beautiful piece of mahogany uh it's got a fairly natural dark stain on it and then uh the badge has my logo inlaid in kind of that you know abalone shell mother of pearl job and it's uh it's pretty epic so for those people that don't know, the whole thing with Sugar was that I wanted him to change my mind about stave drums. I've never liked stave drums. I always felt that they were just thuddy, uh, n- not a lot of character. I felt they sounded great if you tuned them low and put some gaff on them, but I don't really know a lot of drums that don't sound good that way. So, mm mm-hmm. I just never really liked them for my personal playing. There was never a time that I thought stave drums suck. I, I, I judge everything whether it's good or not based off of is it doing what it's set out to do. Even if I don't like it, you know, a, um, a Pearl Piccolo crushes at, you know, $150 because it's set out to do that thing that it does and it does it really well. Right. Uh, it doesn't matter that I don't like it. So I didn't like stave drums. But but I didn't think they sucked. Anyways, the whole point was, well, let's go to one of the greatest stave makers on the planet right now, and that's Jefferson Sugar Percussion. I have no prior, uh, I I don't have an endorsement or anything. I did hire him to make this, so I told him, you know, uh, just charge me whatever you think is the norm, or whatever's fair. And uh, because I also felt that price-wise, maybe this would be more expensive than normal because of the process, which was... He had to send me three drums, and then I had to ship those back. I mean, he had to put a lot of thought into this. This wasn't quite as simple as, I'll take the 6 by 14 yellow one. Right, yeah. uh, So anyway, so that was the process. We went back and forth, back and forth, a lot of conversations on the phone. And then at some point in the process, he called me and said, I found a piece of wood for you. And Mm. based off the timbre and the look and feel. so. He did the whole Mike Dawson thing. He sent me the hardness scale numbers and all that, and I was like, "Dude, does it sound good?" I don't, you know. But when I got it, I have to say it was—it's a work of art. The craftsmanship that Jefferson puts into every drum is insane. And like I said, I'm saying this as a non-endorsed guy. I, I've actually never even met Jefferson, so um, we're friends on the phone, but I have no reason to hype him up more than he needs it. And uh, and the sound is just everything that i thought a stave drum couldn't do which really i gotta Mm. say was sensitivity Um, low volume low volume uh i wanted to play it you know i'm trying to bring my volume down i'm trying to take the abe cunningham out of my drumming a little bit uh no offense to abe he's probably in my top five favorite drummers of all time but (laughs) i am trying to somehow make that transition into like eh, i'm getting old enough that at some point i'll have back problems Mm -hmm. so let's just bring the volume down let's bring the intensity down let's see what these drums can do at a more musical level it's also why I purchased the vintage kit and uh, the the drum that Jefferson built me is just phenomenal so if you guys don't mind we're going to drop in a little audio you can hear the drum is awesome at low volumes but the one thing that i asked him for specifically from the drums he sent me was they his drums have a certain compression smack to them once you finally do lay into them mm-hmm. And I, I didn't want to lose that. I didn't want to have sensitivity but lose the smack. And those drums absolutely have that. So if you guys want more information, just uh, go on Instagram. You can you can follow the Stave Hater Chronicles, which is him it. chronicling how much I hated stave drums. Uh, you can follow Sugar Percussion there. You can check out their website. Amazing stuff. So what's going on with you, bud? Um, I don't know. You know, actually, we do have a story
0: coming up, an interview with Jefferson in the magazine. So... Really? Well, yeah, we'll be able to kind of share a little bit more. He's he's a he's a character. He's one of my favorites. He's one of the, definitely one of the smartest, most kind of insightful and humble, but also doesn't mince words kind of people. No, no, which I really enjoy
1: that. He's he's brilliant for sure, but he's uh, he, it's kind of hard to say. He's snarky but respectful, right? Yeah. So he's not out there to talk trash. He never does that. I you know you'd almost have to pull him. Uh, with ropes and chains into a, a crap talking situation. That's not his jam. He's not talking down on anybody, but he's, he's very into what he does, man. And, and I, I love it. And he's just, like you said, I mean, he'll, he'll post a picture of himself a little bit naked on a drum set. It's <laughs> yeah. like, happy birthday to me. So that's like, think, all right, I think it was last, yeah,
0: last episodes. I had to reverse your, uh, somewhat profane nickname for your drum set if anyone calls yes. that <laughs> yes. if you want to know what it's called you have to reverse the episode at that exact spot
1: <laughs> please do not do that
0: <laughs> please but that you know i said we just had a conversation i had a conversation with one of my writers about how do you deal with profanity because jefferson uses a lot of it and Okay. i don't want you mean in the interview you yeah did with him? yeah and i don't not a lot of it but choice spots he uses it and i know he thought very carefully about the fact that he used it so do we edit it out just because we don't typically use mfers in modern drummer so i'm having a bit of a dilemma like i want to honor his words because unlike some people who just don't have a vocabulary and they use profanity as an excuse to have a limited vocabulary he chose his words very carefully so i'm like how do i so i'm not sure we'll have a probably have a debate here in the next couple of weeks. About there's a
1: difference between having a potty mouth and then putting serious emphasis to almost arrest the conversation. Like, whoa, did you just drop that? And it's like, yeah, but I purposely did it. Yeah. And I agree. I mean, he's he's not somebody that would do that um, loosely. So, well, my, just so you guys know, my drum set does not have... There's no profanity. <laughs> it's just a little too anatomical for for what I would like my drum set to be named. So... At the moment, she's called Blue Sparkle. Blue Sparkle, and you don't have to reverse that. <laughs> right now, it's just Blue Sparkle, uh, darling. Like sometimes I walk into the studio, I'm like, "Hey, darling, how you doing?" So uh, it's but still it's still on your stage. You haven't it's still on rid the stage. Yeah, no, I haven't. <laughs> uh, and then the the 29 Ludwig that you mentioned. So that thing is a time capsule for sure. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if you got to see my most recent Instagram video, but using it in the video when I'm doing a practice pad lesson totally makes the lesson way more valid. So you don't get to hear the drum, but there's a 1929 drum in the shot. And then it's like, Oh, this guy clearly knows what the hell he's talking about. Look how old that drum is. He must know what he's talking about. Practice pad stand. Yeah. Uh, 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 no, we're not even talking about it because someone will send that sound clip to my wife and then she'll be like, you said it was. And I'm like, no, no, no. I said that was what shipping was. Mm-hmm. No, the cost of the drum was a tad more, but it is one of 29. So, uh, so yeah, so maybe we'll get some audio of that next week. Cause it is, like I said, audio wise, it's a time capsule. It's, mm-hmm. I mean, I don't even know how many wires are on it, but you know, they're all individual wires in that um, super sensitive throw, which is, I'm now I know nothing about this old history of Ludwig, but it seems very similar to the Rogers Dynasonic, where it just goes up With and down. Gate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, but I mean, I think there's only okay. maybe 12 total wires. Interesting. Interesting. Um, are they, are the, are they none the original are, wires? Everything's original? Yes. Yeah. Uh yeah, and then I guess
0: that's part be of the, the opposite th- of your sugar snare.
1: <laughs> as far oh, as God. The, the No, it's actually like it. really as soon as I hit it, I just I <laughs> like I saw Django Reinhardt walk past me and wave <laughs> and it was just <laughs> it was just like this weird like like hey man, you know any ragtime? I'm like, well yeah. <laughs> yeah. Keep playing Charleston. <laughs> sure. I mean, it's a total oh, time capsule drumland snare. Totally. But it's, you know what? I mean, that's kind of why I wanted to have it here was so, I think you can really hear, especially in wood drums, you can hear the history of drums Mm -hmm. and drum manufacturing. I I will say my 1920s Ludwig uh, nickel over brass, it sounds damn near modern because it's metal. It doesn't age. But these things, now I do have one question for you. Maybe you have the answer, maybe you don't. Um, And we are going to get deeper into Ludwig snares in a bit. What is the pole that goes across the middle of the drum that's is it just to keep the drum round? like inside the shell, there's this like no, pole. you're
0: you're I, this would be my best guess you're m- either missing the secondary strainer because a super sensitive is supposed to have a strainer on the top as well. Oh, really? Yeah, so you're probably missing that strainer. And that's oh. the, the rod that the wires would have the mechanism would have attached to, I think. Wait a
1: minute. So Don't there so there'd be two snares?
0: Yeah, that's what the super sensitive is. It's the regular bottom wires and then on the underside of the batter head there's
1: a second lever that would engage those. God, those kids <laughs> in the twenties and thirties, what were they doing? So much glue in the factory. Just sniffing. <laughs> sniffing it up. Oh yeah, you know, that, I mean those top
0: wires, they had to negate the bottom wires. I mean, the, oh, you're not hearing anything yeah. but top head at that point. But I would assume symphonic players, that's why they, they wanted that. Like, I need something okay. for when I'm playing super quiet that activates just the top head, throw the secondary wires on, play Bolero or whatever it is you're wow. playing. Yeah, sure. Yeah, so, I mean, I could be wrong. There might be some other mechanism you're referring to. But since it's called a super sensitive, I'm assuming it's probably just missing that
1: bit of hardware. Yeah awesome well yeah this so i guess this was an anniversary year for ludwig in 1929 and then they made 29 of these drums and wow uh since buying it i haven't been able to find one anywhere uh just because i was trying to look for i know that bryson uh from nelson drum shop would hook me up um as far as he wouldn't take advantage of me and I, i try really hard it's like look man let's not mess with our friendship whatever the drum costs just charge me that uh, but I also want to make sure did you hook me up too much do I need to like do like two free clinics mm. or something at your place so I was trying to find another one and I couldn't really find one for sale um, what year is it 1929 1929 I'm going to quick scroll through their catalogs now the so 1929 it was uh, an anniversary drum no and this it's is a the... mahogany super sensitive with in, with decorative inlay it's it's. I could be wrong this is actually the super ludwig is it mahogany with decorative inlay there's a mahogany
0: shell um so the pole going through the middle should be what connects the throw off just to the shell right it's
1: kind of at the top yeah that's where the is there not a lever at the top that you turn the snares off and on with uh no but there are holes so maybe there was a second throw
0: yeah interesting so yeah so maybe they made a special i mean i got the notes here i did all this research the super sensitive was introduced in 1929 so it is quite possible but it's not listed in their catalog that way it's so hmm. confusing so yeah they probably did a one-off super sensitive with the super ludwig mahogany
1: shell and the special inlays so yeah okay well let's take that <laughs> that confusion And last time you and I talked, I was on a six-hour drive to Los Angeles to go to the Gretsch warehouses and offices. Now, for most people that don't know, Gretsch is actually, the factory is located in South Carolina, and then they have their offices at the same place as DW, because it's all one big happy family, and so their offices are in Oxnard, California, so I drove down there this last week to have a meeting about snare drums and Ludwig heavily influenced that meeting. As far as my big thing with this prototype that we've been working on was if this does go into production and if this makes it, cause we've gotten to a place now where there's no more prototyping. I love the sound. It is legitimately my favorite snare drum. And I mean, you know, I have a decent collection of snare drums. This is the one for me. It's not mm. the best. It's just the one for me. So there's no more prototyping so we had to have a talk about, are we going to move forward with this? And when I say Ludwig influenced that my biggest point of contention to the whole meeting was it needs a name. I Hmm. don't want, I don't want my name to be the name. It needs a name so that 40 years from now, if this thing is just on reverb.com 9.0, right? That it's, it's recognizable by name and And you don't have to know who I was or am to buy the drum. The other thing is, I don't want you to have to be a fan of me to play the drum. I want Jason McGreer to be like, oh, I dig that snare and not think, "Uh, but I want my own snare one day, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, And so and my biggest thing was, what do you think of when you think Black Beauty? It's like kind of the greatest snare ever made. And it's it's not, but it is at the same time because it's in our mind. I mean, it's just Mm -hmm. one of many snares being made. But it's got a great name. It's always... And, it, and I would say the other thing about the Black Beauty is it's not a one-trick pony. And that is something that I'm trying to help create for myself and for Gretsch is, can we make a snare drum that is kind of the most versatile snare drum in the lineup? You already mm. make great things that do exactly what they do. You don't need any more of that. So, uh, But yeah, the having a marketing meeting is no joke. I you know, can I'm, only imagine. I don't have... I don't have a real business. I would have been just, running
0: for the door. Like I don't want to go through this. Can, let me yep. out of here.
1: <laughs> <laughs> for me, it's like a study in. Oh, this is why you guys have business cards and a desk, and <laughs> and you have a phone that has like a hold button, and there's a secretary. You have a real business. Um, so I mean, do you
0: knowing that these are professional businessmen, and you yeah. walk in trying to shake the apple tree right are you a little apprehensive to be like hey you guys don't know
1: how to market a snare drum let me give you my
0: two cents on how to market a snare
1: well, drum." <laughs> as i was sitting with uh scott donnell the director of marketing no i don't say that <laughs> because one i think they do but scott donnell has always been the director of marketing for dw and i don't think anyone can argue that that they don't Market DW drums extremely well to the people that want DW drums. Gretsch is a completely different world. Yeah, Gretsch they're, 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 is history. their USA
0: solid maple snare drum is currently called G five 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 one four SSM. Thank you. Very <laughs> beep it
1: out much or yeah exactly
0: six five one four SSM. That's go the track USA. down to Brooklyn and see
1: what that is. It's like B four. You know so. That was my whole point. Is right now people are referring to these drums actually by what they are. Can I get a uh, a Gretsch? I don't know uh, brass fourteen by six and a half or whatever. But they, no one knows the names of them. Mm-hmm. So one that would make it easier for people to keep track of what they're looking for. And then the other thing is. It, this is something new for gretch so the other part of the marketing is well if it's a new sound for gretch and Gretsch's slogan is that great gretch sound what are we saying about that great gretch sound mm. which i happen to love i just bought one from the 60s so and i love my, my modern drums but the snares have always here's what i will say in full transparency on the wood snares What makes Gretsch a great Gretsch sound? I actually don't like that in a snare drum. Now, it doesn't mean it's wrong. It means it's just personal taste. But the round bearing edges, the warmth, the everything that makes the toms and bass drums sound good is what I don't like in a snare drum. Mm. I like sensitivity. I like high frequencies. I like attack. um, And I like being able to play it at a low volume. And so that's something that's not in their lineup. And that's what this drum was designed to create. So, like I said, I don't know... Um, if it'll be moving forward completely, or when it will be, but we are done prototyping. So it was a cool marketing meeting, and it yeah. was cool just to learn how that stuff works. Yeah, it's quite,
0: especially with that company having two separate brands. I don't know how they can they can like refocus. Like, how do we focus on Gretch, but not to the detriment of DW, and vice versa?
1: I, I I gotta say, I mean, just being in that meeting, it was very. Um, It was a positive thing to see how much they respect the brand of Gretsch and how much they're not trying to morph into one giant company where it's like, Mm -hmm. like even the improvements they've made in the South Carolina factory have nothing to do with the shell. It's all been hardware related. Like, well, these are the moving parts that keep breaking. Let's just make these better but let's not mess with the formula. So uh, it, it was cool. And I left there feeling really, really good. And I got to, I've, I haven't been to the the Gretz showroom, which is really Andrew Shreve's office mm-hmm. and getting to play a bunch of new products, new snares, um, getting to play a bunch of new snares and still realizing that my prototype is still my favorite snare. That felt good. That's cool. I don't, I don't want to be like, Oh, well, <laughs> if I could just have that. Um, so that stuff was all great. So it was good stuff. Now, You ready to get into some deep, deep stuff? We can
0: try. We tackle this beast. (laughs) We can, like, nonchalant, like, hey, why don't we talk about, like, what is a Ludwig Black Beauty, and why is it not a this or that?
1: Yeah, just real quick. Let's just do a quick quick. five minutes on it. (laughs) Uh, So part of my drive to Los Angeles was calling Mike, and we were talking about things that could enhance your listening I'm just going to stop right there because I have no experience. You're listening experience. How could you get more out of this podcast? From two very well-educated individuals. My God. My God. It's like, how many more honorary doctorates do I need? I'm sick of it. I'm so freaking educated. Okay, so we were talking about how sometimes it can be hard when you're dealing with notation-based lessons you're listening to a podcast sometimes it's hard without seeing the actual notation and being able to follow along and one of the things that a lot of drummers could really use is just a clarification of what are these things when you hear ludwig superphonic when you hear ludwig black beauty nickel over or nob if you see that on an yeah. instagram pros what does nob knob. mean and what is the knob exactly hey do you have any knob snares here i'm like <laughs> oh my my cute yeah my cute little friend uh that's nickel over brass or do you have a cob yes i have a 14 by 5 <laughs> cob so chrome over brass so we thought let's just start with the black beauty then we did yeah. our research
0: yeah, and it's wow. uh, it's convoluted. So I'll give you the quick Cliff's Notes version of what I was able to research going by as close to the direct source with Ludwig catalogs as I could find. Um, and then we can kind of expand on it. So I think of really two types of black beauty in the Ludwig category. You've got the early one, which was first introduced in 1932 as, as called the Black Beauty. But for nine years before that, they just called it the Deluxe Snare in a gunmetal finish (laughs) with Mm -hmm. hand engraving. And that was what we think of as the vintage kind of Ludwig Black Beauty, two-piece shell. Two-piece shell. It still has the beaded center, which is, I think is what confuses everyone because it looks similar to what we have now. But it's actually a two-piece shell, very different sound, very different instrument. It was called the Deluxe for almost a decade before someone said, why don't we call it whatever one is calling it, which is the black beauty in 1932. So that is the first inc- incarnation of the black beauty. And then it kind of disappeared. And then 1977, they brought the black beauty back, but it was not the original one at all. It was actually a Superphonic that had a brass shell with black nickel finish. <laughs> so that's where everything kind of gets confusing now to make it even worse. So that, re, that revisited Black Beauty, 1977, uh, lasted for four years, three years, give or take. 1981, uh, Selmer took over the brand and they started using bronze instead of brass for the shells. But they didn't
1: offer the black nickel version. <laughs> so, was it still called a Black Beauty with no, no. black nickel on it? Okay. No. It was just called. They just stopped making brass drums. Everything was bronze
0: from that point on. Okay. <clears throat> so, you had a bunch of just like raw bronze snares. It wasn't until 1988 that we see the Black Beauty come back as an offering. So, it was like you can get a superphonic in the Black Beauty finish, but that had a bronze shell. So if you have a Black Beauty from 1988, it's a bronze shell drum.
1: No way. And yeah. it, But it looks like uh, what we would consider to be a Black Beauty. It looks like exactly so what you we would could get th- you might think you have a, a black nickel over brass shell, but you could have a black nickel over bronze. Exactly. If it's a late Ooh. 80s
0: version of the Black Beauty, which is, it's a superphonic with a bronze shell black nickel plating, you could also get it with the super sensitive throw-off. See, Now all of a sudden we're going down like a million different paths. Wow. And how much more back. when did it come back was like the brass shell 1994 it's now back to the seamless brass shell so okay, from 94 so just, on it's kind of been what it. we think of as the modern day black beauty which is closest to the 1977 to 1980 version
1: <laughs> so in 94 they realized that I was graduating high school they wanted to do something special for that right right and they brought it back yep, totally just for you a, a, that was so cool of them uh, <laughs> They were like, he's going to sign with DW any day. Now let's do this. Uh, well let so let's just simplify some of this. If you were today to buy a brand new black beauty, you are dealing with a brass shell. Seamless. It is a seamless brass shell, nickel plated, and it's black nickel. So it has this dark smoky look to it. It's not like flat black or anything, Yeah, but it's almost like black Chrome, but it's black nickel. They make it in a five by fourteen, a six and a half by fourteen, and an eight by fourteen. You can choose those uh, two lugs that you would have probably seen in the in, on the original ones, or you can choose their imperial lugs, which are Ludwig standard lugs. And you can also choose to have the shell either normal or hammered. You and I have done a little bit of testing in the past to find out does the hammering change the sound, and how does it change the sound? Is it, I mean. I'm assuming the idea behind the hammering is it knocks down some reflections. Yeah, make it drier. I can't. We haven't been able to substantiate that. that. No, exactly. It's a visual thing more than anything else. I agree. Uh, So, so you still can get it. Um, I'm assuming it's probably one of their more desired snares. But you think that if you're a true collector or whatever, you're going to try to search for like a late '70s Black Beauty? The ones that I know, like the coveted ones like Ross
0: Garfield's black beauty that's been on a million records is one of the original like late seventies versions. And I've heard like Matt Chamberlain talk about like, well, when everyone talks about his black beauty is like, yeah, but it's the one from the seventies. Like it seems for some reason that there was something different. I don't know enough to, to say, but if you find one from the seventies, they're probably going to be well over a thousand bucks at this point.
1: Yeah. And if they have the limited edition hand engraving, you're looking at probably two thousand to three thousand. Yeah. And I don't know what, maybe, maybe they're, I probably should have researched more. Maybe
0: the hoops are solid brass. Maybe not. I'm not sure. But there's something, there's something different
1: about those shells compared to the ones that came back in the late 80s and on. Okay. Question for you mm-hmm. since this is not a Ludwig sponsored episode, no, it is not. <laughs> we wouldn't mind if it was but it's currently not why does everyone hate so much on a p85 throw i've always found them to turn off and on is there do they wear out over time yeah over time at least on like
0: my 70s superphonic it just won't hold tension okay it's like something okay. happened it just it just loosens the i guess the gasket that keeps the thumb screw from Detuning just wears out. It. So okay. you know, half half a song in, the, the wires are barely touching the the head. Okay. Anymore. Well,
1: then that makes sense then, because yeah. I've only dealt with new ones, and I've always been like, dude, I love this throw. It, yeah. It's nice and easy. It works great. But but I've also never been a Ludwig artist, so I've never spent two years playing the same Ludwig snare. It's more like, oh, I'll test this for five minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, but when you get into the message boards, man,
0: eighty-five <laughs> yeah, gets
1: no love. Yeah, everyone kind of gets. <laughs> I hate that, like, hive mine, you know, like,
0: whatever. It works. Even the new ones, I've replaced them, and the new ones are fine. It's just the older ones. They yeah. just,
1: over time, they just start to wear out, but it's a functional throw-off. It's smooth. Well, it, it, it's easy. Here's a weird uh, little fact that will lead into our audio example of this drum, but I've only been given two drums by people, by, like, students or friends uh, in the last maybe 10 years where somebody literally said, I want you to have this. I have no idea how this happened, but both are black beauties. Oh, so really? I have a six and a half by 14 that, uh, Chris Hancock at rooster thrones. When I, when we redid our studio and built the snare wall, a box showed up and it, and it had a note and it said, every snare wall deserves a black beauty. I know you won't buy this for yourself. Congratulations. And it was like, okay, cool. that was amazing. And, uh, and I think he has the Masters of Maple one, and mm-hmm. that's like his main snare. And then uh, another student who came to the film camp and had been to a camp last year, Carlos, came in and said, "Hey, I've just made the move. My new band. I'm only playing electric. I'm doing like stand-up thing with an SPDX pad, and I'm doing all electronic stuff now. I really won't be using my acoustic drums moving forward. I want you to have this, and it's a five by fourteen. Oh, so you got a uh, hammered shell. So I have both." that's cool. Yeah. (laughs) So, so you can get rid of everything else. You're done. Hey now, <laughs> we wait till you. Will you wait till you test this prototype? God, that's going to be the most awkward episode ever. If you're like, it honestly is a little wonky in the mid range. I'll be like, no, it's not. It's amazing. Okay, so yeah, just to man. recap on the Ludwig stuff, our main goal here, even though we ended up going down some rabbit holes, was to clarify what a Black Beauty is for you. So let's just pigeonhole three eras. <clears throat> There's the original Black Beauty, two piece shell. That's black nickel over brass. Totally a collector's item. If you're taking that to your
0: local cover band gigs, you're not very smart.
1: (laughs) There there, there you go. (laughs) Okay, I'm going to box up my 29 Ludwig, and I was going to take it out. That's
0: that's the difference, and and I wanted to make sure to mention it. The shells, all their shells are the same. It's just the Black Beauty has the gunmetal finish, but the ones that have regular nickel finish it's the exact same drum, but the different, so
1: the 20, the 20s Ludwig
0: that I have is the same shell, same shell. It's just got a different finish. And if you did a blindfold test, you would not, I don't think you would ever be able to tell the difference. So if you want to get a a deal, get the sound of those revered drums and not have to pay the collector's price, get one of the regular universals or pioneers. And it's the same. Yeah. It's when you get into the hand engraving and all that, it's, it becomes,
1: and they are beautiful. Um, Okay, so we have the tw- the late twenties, then we skip ahead to the late seventies and that's where we get the sonic collector's items, where if you have a studio, that's the one you want, even if it's real or not, that's the perception out there. Yeah, that's the that's the one that's been on probably thousands of hit records that era. Right. Yeah. And then we have the modern Black Beauty, which is back to being a seamless shell, right? The one that the if you brass. bought one brand new. Yeah. Yep. And so, well, don't forget over the, the the
0: dark years of of bronze. <laughs> the I'm bronze, us, I'm, trying to, I'm trying to
1: <laughs> trying to to clear up the mud here, homie. But that's important. I
0: think if you if it if is, you have it one is. of those bronze drums, you probably have something really special. And I think that was the first time they offered it with uh, die cast hoops. Ah, uh, yeah. So that could also be a really special drum. I I don't know if I've ever played one of those. I probably haven't. Didn't realize it. But if anyone has the late '80s. Black beauty with the bronze shell. Can you send me an audio file and a price for how much you're willing to sell it for?
1: (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Okay. So now that we know a black beauty is a is a brass shell, it's a seamless shell if you get a modern one, and it's got a nickel plating, and then it's just black nickel, so it has that dark black look to it. We also know that a lot of other companies make their version of a Black Beauty. You know, Pork Pie had, what is it called, the Big Bob? or Yeah, yeah, there's been a lot of... EDP
0: had the Ace. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And almost all of them are not seamless. There's a few. Correct. Q Q has one that's seamless, seamless brass. So, yeah, there's a lot so if of you're looking for that sound, alternatives, but they're not, right, they're not exactly the same.
1: Right. <clears throat> um, but if you're looking for that sound, maybe on a budget... You're still looking for a nickel over brass shell. Yeah, black nickel over brass. I would say. Right. Yeah, yeah. And I did a,
0: I did a pretty extensive shootout before. I had cameras of of the Black Beauty versus everything else that I could find that was an alternative okay. to it. Uh, you know, the cheaper ones you can definitely tell when you ABM side by side, but played on its own, it has the same essence. It's it's essentially the same drum. It just doesn't have as much sound. It's not as vibrant. Right.
1: And I think what's made the Black Beauty such a legendary snare drum, something we mentioned earlier, is just how versatile it is. It's not a one-trick pony. You can, if somebody said, "Hey, we're doing like a country ballad," you know, six and a half by fourteen Black Beauty, you're going to be fine. And somebody says, "We're going to do a funk tune," crank it up, you're going to be fine. So they're very versatile drums. All right. Well, hope that helped a little bit. We're going to keep going down this road with other drums. Do you have something else? Do you have audio for this? You going to record this stuff? Yeah. (laughs) All right. Yeah. What did you hear me say? I just said, take a listen (laughs) to me playing the six and a half by 14 Ludwig Black Beauty.
0: Like I said in the intro, this episode is brought to you by Dream Symbols. So rather than uh, go through a spiel of their product lines at this point, uh, definitely go to their website, DreamSymbols.com, click the products tab, and just, just have a look around, check out some sound files. I'm sure you're going to find something unique that you then might want to add to your kit so you can let your dealer know to get one in for you. So, But I also want to um, give a little highlight to one of Dream's new artists. This is... Abelardo balaño and there's a video that dream just posted on their facebook page where he is just killing it so i want to give him some airplay here for a minute um, his setup it looks like he's got some dark matter hi-hats a looks like a big bliss crash dark matter ride he's got some little stackers and things let's check it out he's really killing it so uh, thanks dream for sponsoring the show and let's listen to some drums by it. Abelardo balaño <laughs> So what you just heard was the first portion of the song Gold Lions by the Yes, yeah yeah performed by one of my favorite uh, indie rock slash creative drummers, Brian Chase. Um, that What year did you say that came out? 2006. 2006. So kind of the, the height of the New York indie rock era, I think. I think they kind of represented that. It was them like the Strokes... What other bands came out
1: of that era? Um, Everything with the in the front. Interpol. The (laughs) The Interpol, yes. Interpol. Um, uh, The National. There you go. Yeah. But
0: I like Brian in particular as a drummer because I kind of feel like there's so much history and I think he even mentions maybe not in the story that's in the current issue of the magazine but a previous feature that his favorite drummer is Papa Joe Jones. Really? Which may seem kind of strange but if you watch him play if you see videos of him playing with the band he has that like just pure joy smiling having a good time vibe all the time yeah which is is a
1: true artist when you listen to their stuff you might think a lot of this is like oh that's programmed and those are drum machines there i i mean i haven't seen the dude track but from watching all of his videos on youtube i'm assuming they're not he he does it he manipulates it of course but he plays it first and it may seem easy to manipulate drums and to get different sounds and you, you know you're somebody that does this really well but you can't manipulate something until you have it in your mind to manipulate first. You have yeah. to know what the final outcome is to start the process. You can't just like record something and then turn a ring modulator on it and be like boom, yeah, manipulated. <laughs> like when you listen to all- <laughs> Hashtag manipulated. So when you listen oh, to the A.A.Y.As, a lot of their intros have this drum machine feel to them, but it's a little more organic than a drum machine, and you know that that's Brian Chase doing that. Yeah, and it was a, I think it was the record
0: It's Blitz or something, whatever it was. That was when they kind of made that shift into that world. Like okay. a lot of drum machines and live drumming over top of it and real kind of... That's 2009. Yeah, so that was kind of a departure um, early on they were just a three-piece guitar drums and vocal and they just rocked there was really just they were just a straight-up indie band Um, which is what i again why i'm a huge fan of his playing because you can hear so much history he plays traditional grip and i have mad respect for that Um, his kit is set up like a jazzer Um, so i think what appeals to me with brian again i feel like we're talking about a band that probably everyone knows but if you haven't checked out the aes it they're, they're a really cool band, so definitely check out. Well, and if you starters.
1: haven't checked them out, you have checked them out. You just didn't know who you were
0: listening to. Yeah, it's, it's some really interesting stuff. And the fact that there's only three people in the band, it allows Brian to have a lot of personality in every song, which is really cool.
1: How crazy is it that you can find videos of Brian sitting on the floor somewhere... <laughs> with a snare drum and a computer and there 's eight people losing their minds, you know just enjoying every segment and then the next video you you click on he's playing to sixty thousand people in right. europe <laughs> right. how does how does that dude emotionally handle that switch you know i uh it's it's crazy and you're right I mean he does have a thing he has a presence on the kit he also has a a punk presence that doesn 't seem to be concerned with perfection even yeah. if he could attain it. And I do like that. Like, he wants to create, uh, you know, there's two drummers that come to my mind when I see Brian play, and they're not comparisons as much as, uh, I'm like, oh, okay, I think these three drummers probably had a similar quest in life. I definitely see some Zach Danziger in there, (sighs) Mm -hmm. and then some Darren King from Mute Math. Oh, yeah, interesting. Makes sense. You know, like, I care about this instrument. I care about groove and feel and touch, and I care about everything that's important, but I also need to express myself, and this is my avenue of expression. So I don't really care what you think.
0: Yeah, yeah. You know what a I mean. Bit of
1: deconstruction and everything that they do, which is cool. Yeah, it's it's pretty awesome. So that um, snare sound
0: in that that intro, if if you would have given me ten guesses of what it is, I w- I, th- I would have picked ten different metal drums. I probably would have started with. Eh, it sounds like it might be a five by fourteen Black Beauty. But I'm fairly certain that he, on every record, I could be wrong. He uses the same maple GMS snare, five and a half by fourteen maple GMS GMS. GMS. He's been a GMS artist course. his entire his entire career. Love it. So that I, open, you know, real kind of like really strong overtone laden snare sound that I think is part of his signature. It's actually a wood drum. I never would have guessed that. I would have picked a brass drum for sure. That's awesome.
1: Uh, so, do you know Brian? <laughs> Yeah, yeah, he's he's a New Jersey guy. I was gonna say he seems like someone you would know. <laughs> yeah, like I feel like you and I would be hanging out at Nam, and I'd feel like we're friends. And then he would come up, and I'd be like, "Oh, that's your friend." Yeah, we go I'm to just some your weird place and start manipulating snare drum. Totally, well I feel like you guys would <laughs> just be like, "Hey, man!" You start tapping on stuff, and I'd be like, "You know what? You guys are like twenty-six points artistic out of my league right now. I'm gonna go." Oh, do something man. else so his current project is called uh
0: drums and drones i think as you're alluding to uh it should come with the disclaimer the drumming part of it is just the fuel for the the manipulation that's that's done later so there's almost like no discernible drumming it's very ambient it's it's right. it's almost like he's well, i'm sure he's going for more like a Brian Eno kind of like what can i how can i manipulate a buzz roll And then have it create this ambient track that goes on for eight to 10 minutes.
1: So that's the current (laughs)
0: project. It's super creative. It's way outside the box. It's not drumming per se.
1: The things, if you do you guys, I don't even know how to pronounce it. Is it called a hang drum? The metal drum that you play through them? Like the way the videos you would see of somebody playing a hang drum and a bunch of hippies gathered around them, (laughs) just losing their minds. That's how Brian plays a snare or a cymbal, you know, where it's like he's just sitting, kind of Indian style, starts playing a drum, and then four minutes later, you're like, "There's no way that was ever a snare drum." The yeah. sounds you're hearing, it's it's really cool. It's something you guys should all check out. Not everything has to be insta chops, you know, and just blowing heat all the time. Sometimes it's just about art, and Brian is amazing at it. So definitely check out the IAS yeah, yeah, catalog because they've got albums. You know I think starting as early as two thousand and three, maybe even earlier than that, and then um, as far as albums, the last thing I could find was in two thousand and thirteen, which is their album Mosquito which that's one of those albums. Like I said, you think maybe you haven't heard this band, but as soon as you press play, you're like, Oh, I know who this is. Yeah, so been they in seem a lot like of, yeah. maybe the greatest soundtrack band ever. Yeah. There have been in a lot of anything that needs the cool factor. I think they're one of the bands exactly. that people go that's, to. I could totally see a movie producer being like, okay, so uh, we get to the cafeteria <laughs> of the college and then the aas are playing, <laughs> you know, it's like, it's yeah. just like, we just need to make this movie a little cooler than it is. So we're going to throw them in. I want to drop in just a, you know brief pause of we're going to check out some of brian chase's
0: this track is called bass drum drone and then i want to fade into another one called drum roll drone so as you can expect there's no insta chops in this this is your meditative space out so we're going to do like 30 40 seconds of it check it out So that was brian's more experimental stuff called drums and drones check out the box set it's a really neat package where he explains the whole concept behind the whole thing um he's a real creative mind we're going to end this segment with another excerpt this is from the song maps by his band the Yeah Yeahs.
1: everybody so now it's time to talk about some gear and this time we're talking about something that we don't have audio for you but we can talk to you all about it and these are some new products from innovative percussion we've got the john J.R. robinson and brooks wackerman signature model sticks and brushes yes uh innovative percussion is not going away they're they're up in their i mean they just keep keep doing the the real deal they're
0: making smart moves um they weren't really a drum set stick company. I mean, they had some stuff, but they weren't like really focused on it. It was mostly academic, you know, collegiate and symphonic and marching stuff. But in the past couple of years, they've signed I mean, really cream of the crop kind of ace players. In the most recent editions are John J.R. Robinson's signature stick and brushes and Brooks Wackerman's signature stick, especially for his new gig, Avenged Sevenfold. These are
1: the... Largest. Wait, Jr. Robinson's in Avenged Sevenfold. No, Brooks Wackerman. Did not I say oh, Brooks Wackerman? No, I, maybe you did. I was I was trying to take a <laughs> sip of tea as quiet as possible, and then I was like, "Wait, what just happened?" <laughs> oh, we're gonna have a segment
0: on most unusual pairings that would probably work out amazing. I would love that. I think J.R. Robinson in Avenged Sevenfold. Not I don't know bad. if he can do double bass, but he
1: probably could figure They'll it figure out. Figure it if out. Heels down, it, they, double bass. Yeah, Heels down, but they would be so like it'd be so locked just so locked we had vinnie with with mega death we had terry bozeman and shania twain in the same year yeah that (laughs) that did happen um but i would uh, yeah there there could be i would love to see steve jordan in blink 182 anyways innovative (laughs) percussion moving along um okay and you had a chance to check all this stuff out right i did and and what i was starting to say was these
0: are the largest yet most comfortable sticks that I tried, like they're the most comfortable oversized stick. Like it didn't wear me out. Both models? Both of them. They're both. Um, let's see. Brooks is 16 sixteen and a half inches long, okay, um, and it's point six inches in the grip. So it's it's a little bit thinner than a two B, but a half inch longer than a two B. So it's a long, wow. pretty thick stick. And JR's is seventeen inches long. And it's just a little bit wider than a 5A. So these are okay. like. Wow, that's a
1: thin, long drumstick. Yeah, these are swords. <laughs> <laughs> these are javelins. <laughs> well, that makes sense why uh, John's is called the Aragorn. Okay, cool. Aragorn, excuse me. That was going to be an amazing Lord of the Rings joke, but it just totally bombed because I used to live on Aragorn Street and things went all bad. Anyways, JR's is called uh, the jr 1. Yeah,
0: yeah. Anyway, you yeah, know what, so, dude? Get your name up. <laughs> Step it up. I'll be the guy that says, I'd never seen an episode of Game of Thrones and I don't like Lord of the Rings. Okay, let's get it over with.
1: That's why we wouldn't be real friends. <laughs> We're just podcast <laughs> friends. All right. So the sticks are both wood tip, but jr seems to have that kind of half barrel tip. Um, yep. Brooks' has like the normal um, kind of teardrop tip. No, that's backwards. But, Brooks has the barrel tip. Yeah. If you guys didn't have Jairus' freaking name next to <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at your article. Okay, fine. That makes sense because uh, Brooks's looks much thicker. But I want to talk about the brushes because these yeah. are both, I mean, sticks are sticks. They either work for you or they don't. Yeah. Um, but the brushes seem to be pretty unique. Yeah, so
0: last word on the sticks. If you need a long, oversized stick for whatever, you need to reach a lot of stuff or you want just a very powerful-sounding stick, both of these... I was shocked at how comfortable they felt. They were perfectly balanced. The rebound was great. They produced a huge sound. I did a couple of tracks with JR's sticks, and it just immediately put me in that kind of JR mindset. Big sound, nice. that's what you're going for. So those are awesome uh, options.
1: The brush one thing is, we didn't mention, are these sticks hickory or maple? They're both hickory. Okay.
0: Yep, and cool. I, I'm pretty sure that's all they're available in. in okay. You know, wood tip only. The brushes are both JR models, and he has one that's called the Martini brush, which has red plastic bristles, and then the other one is just his signature brush, but it has a felt mallet head and a nylon tip on the butt end, and then like a regular set of wire brushes on the other end. Yeah, that thing looks really cool. Again, these are very big, so a lot of times with me with brushes they just feel like i'm playing jazz implements so if i'm playing like a a louder gig and i need to play brushes i feel like regular brushes just they don't do it these have a lot more throw because the grip is longer so they just feel more like sticks for like modern applications nice um the martini ones were definitely brighter sounding um, the wire brushes just sounded like really nice wire brushes and having the felt tip on the other end was cool to just be able to flip them over do some simple rolls you're back to your yeah that,
1: that seems something now that felt i'm assuming it's glued on it's not sliding up and down the stick right no that's glued onto the grip the nylon Got tip it. is actually stuck to the end of the
0: pull rod so if you oh, so, it so a they little still, bit, oh no way yeah you get a little bit of
1: a, a reach with with the, uh, the okay. nylon tip very cool awesome stuff um well, definitely, guys, check these things out. Um, I think both those brushes, like you said, there are times where non-jazz drummers need to play brushes not only for volume but for mo- mostly for texture. Yeah. And sometimes I-, I totally agree with you. Sometimes when I'm playing with brushes, one, it feels like I'm playing with just something very out of my element. But the problem, the other problem I have, is when I go back to sticks after that. Then my sticks feel massive. Right. And I'm yeah. like, oh man. So I think these might be the answer. Yeah, Very they cool have stuff. Two and a half inches extra grip compared to, compare to a, like a traditional jazz brush. So it feels a lot more like a stick. We'll definitely cool. check these things out. So Brooks Wackerman's new signature sticks and then JR's signature sticks and brushes. You can check them out on Innovative Percussion's website. Now check it's time out, to get some
0: what? I say check out the entire catalog of signature sticks. They've got some really good options. I know we've talked about them before, but the near Z stick is really interesting. Just just peruse their catalog. It's definitely some interesting sticks to check out. You know, I wrap that up like flawlessly, right? <laughs> I don't care, man. <laughs>
1: You're just trying to get through an episode of ninety coughs and twenty sniffles. I mean I had I, I, the segue into Q and A was seamless was trying to like buy a my, black
0: beauty. Yeah, yeah. But uh, whatever.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Trying to buy All right. myself
0: some time to actually find the questions. All right. Okay.
1: <laughs> so these brushes really give you that extra reach. What I'm hearing from my sources is that you're looking at two and a half extra inches of grip there. Um sweet salty it's a salty episode all right (laughs) dude uh uh, who's our boy from australia uh the craziest foot pedal on the planet uh what uh, owns the coffee shop Instagram. instagram yeah stan bicknell he uh he actually texted me he was like dude you're extra sassy in the last episode. I like it. And I'm like, what? I was like, like, yeah, remember. what happened? I don't I don't remember. It, it was like two episodes ago, okay. uh, but I, I must have been just like, hey, let's get this done. I got a drum camp to teach. So I must have been a little bit <laughs> snarky. So my apologies to all of you that know me as like the most positive guy ever on YouTube. The podcast is a little closer to my real personality. Yeah, I mean, yeah. If we can't make fun of each other, then what the hell are we doing? <laughs> I agree. I agree. All right, let's get into some questions. All
0: right, our first question is from Garrick. This is going to be a tough one, but we're going to try to answer it. This is going to be spent on my side. Someone has no business answering a question on this topic, but let's try. Okay. One of my bands is experimenting with four-part vocal harmonies. Um, however, it's only a four-piece band, which means I have to both sing and play drum set um in the past i've only been able to learn songs with vocal parts by committing the drum part to muscle memory and then going back and adding the vocal part in afterwards which makes it a very slow process to add new songs i'm looking for a way to abstract this process and practice singing and or talking while playing as a skill
1: um yeah any tips or ideas would be greatly appreciated Uh, well, I definitely can't speak to the singing part, but I can definitely speak to the practice part because I've had students that needed to do this. And as a touring drummer, I found myself constantly needing to speak freely while playing. And the reason why I needed to speak freely is because a lot of things go wrong night in, night out. And I needed to constantly yell at my tech to tell them what just happened, uh, my bass drum pedal just went through the head, mm. and my tech wasn't a drummer, so he wasn't prepared to even know, like, how come you don't play the bass drum anymore? It's like, well, the beater's stuck inside of it. So I needed to be able to scream while still playing the rest of the show. So one of the things that I do with my students is we pick a specific song or rudiment that we just play on the pad. Uh, it could be a groove. could be anything. And then we pull out an issue of Modern Drummer, to be quite honest, and we announce the ads as if we're announcers. And so we have our metronome on, and we're playing our paradiddles, and we go, the brand new Thomas Silver Star. Are you looking for a kit that can take you from the stage to the you know? We just go. We've got to
0: live stream that next time,
1: <laughs> and we see what happens. Because in the beginning, everyone goes the brand new. Tom ma You know, it's one syllable at a time. I'm like, it's going to take you six months to tell your tech that your guitarist just stepped on his own cable. And that's why there's no guitars. Mm. When I'm in the back and I can just shout, yo, and, but I can't stop playing. So that, I don't know if that'll help you with singing, but it definitely helped me with my independence. The other thing that I have to do constantly, and Mike's probably getting into this as well now, is I have to speak on a boomstand microphone while I'm teaching a clinic. So Mm -hmm. I'm playing this exercise, and then I say, all right, guys, now what I'm going to do is I'm going to take my left hand and move it to the rack tom, but I can't speak in quarter note time. So I have the same independence that a singer would have, and I've built that through exercises like announcing pages out of Modern Drummer. Yeah, I would think it gets compounded when you're having to memorize lyrics and melodies,
0: and if you're singing like the fourth harmony part, it's not going to be the most intuitive melody to memorize. Agreed, so yeah i I can't think of any shortcut, and from my perspective, I can barely talk and play at the same time. so how about you chime back in when you figure it out and give us how you did yeah, it tell us <laughs> tell us the answer All right, next question. all right, this one is from Matt. Uh, I've been playing professionally for a little over thirty years. I have to I have to play a lot of different styles, but enjoy swing and bebop the most. I've been going back and practicing some old independence exercises. As I've noticed, some things are not coming out quite the way I want them to. One ex- exercise is simply playing a swing pattern on the ride, high hat on two and four, and then the last two beats of each eighth note triplet grouping on the snare, so all the uhs. And then the bass drum on the end of two and end of four. What I'm finding strange is I start to rush the triplets on the snare if I play the ride pattern on the ride, and if I move the ride pattern to a tom or a floor tom, the snare pattern grooves along just fine so that's interesting so he can if it's on a low earthy tone he can play it if it's on a rim or a ride cymbal it freaks him
1: out i totally see that i've I've dealt with that myself what is the issue here it's just that there's this lack of impact that a cymbal has but a tom does and as a marker of time Uh, a drum is much easier. And I I went through that same thing with literally with jazz independence I could do, or, or with Afro Cuban independence. If I played the right hand part on the bell, like on a cowbell, I was fine. Uh, and then if I played that same part on a cymbal without using the bell, just the bow of the cymbal, I, I couldn't keep track of time, and it was just because it starts ringing. You know, I mean, a tom's going to go um, doom doom to doom doom to doom, depending on your ride and the way you're playing it. It goes ding ding to ding ding ja ja, 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 ja ja, and then it's just like, okay, mm-hmm. I have no idea where I am. So one thing that I would suggest would be. Make sure that you get that right-hand volume way down so the ride doesn't start overriding. Make sure that you're playing a ride cymbal that, you know, maybe for a little while, throw some gaff tape on the bottom of your ride to make it more staccato so it's not ringing so much. And what's happening is those notes are becoming very legato in your mind, and you can't really mark the time with them. So throw some gaff on it and then slowly take that gaff off. Um, And also, you know, I mean, there's if you had a really dry jazz ride then it's a little easier to keep time with too. And the other thing I would suggest is get off the kit, go play this thing on a practice pad. Don't make it a drum set pattern, make it a hands independence pattern, and then move your right hand to a book and leave your left hand on a practice pad. Then your right hand to a pillow and make sure that you really do have it physically down before you take it to the kit. Interesting. Yeah, that all sounds, hopefully that would help you out. The one thing that I
0: would consider is, um, singing what it's supposed to sound like before you play it. I had a teacher that did that to me and it was the most awkward, uncomfortable part of our lessons where he would be like, sing me your ride symbol. I'm like, what do you mean? He was like, sing me what you think your ride symbol is going to sound like when you play it. And it was so awkward. And i would be like, ding, ding, a ding. He's like, you want your ride symbol to sound like ding, ding, a ding. Like give Ow. me the sound that you want your ride symbol to sound like. So it was like a year of like, I don't know. But eventually, I was like, "Okay, yeah." He, he used "ching" for his two and four, "ding yeah. ching" like that. He wanted a wider two and four sound. Yep. So that might help if you just visualize the sound of it that you actually want to produce, and then you won't be so shocked when you actually play the instrument. And yeah,
1: and then we have to get that left hand and. Ding 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 ding. Okay, yeah. Right. So right. that
0: sounds like you want it to be like this percolating, bubbly kind of triplet
1: thing man i just now got to the place that you were when you were 14 i'm feeling accomplished this is great it definitely helped it made
0: i mean again cool. it was it was really kind of it was revealing in an uncomfortable way for the fact that i had no idea what i wanted to sound like and sure. he was getting at that point like you don't know what you're going to sound like until you hit the drums that's a problem mm-hmm. figure out what you want to sound like and then get your body I totally to totally agree with produce that. that yeah sound. I think that makes so tons that of sense. That was really All sage right. advice for my
1: 17-year-old brain that could not compute it. But oh. 17. I feel way better now. <laughs> <laughs> Just kidding. No, I, I, P. Magadini had me do a very similar thing, so I, I, uh, that's the only reason I can do it now. All right, let's get into our last question. All right, this one's from Aaron. Um, a two-part
0: question. No, it's a, it's a one-part question. Left-hand Fantastic. lead. I do a warm-up that includes playing singles, doubles, and paradiddles. I incorporate a samba bass drum pattern. And then when I had recently decided to try it left-hand lead, I got dizzy and couldn't play it. So his question is, am I weird? Should I be able to play everything left-hand lead as well as I can right-hand lead? And can everyone do this, or, and, or am I just terrible? That's from Aaron. Yeah.
1: <clears throat> I'd give up if I was you. What do you mean you can't do a left-hand lead? I don't even No, I. I that's such a simple answer for you, Aaron, um, and you, you're the only one that can answer it. But how much time have you put into the left-hand lead version of it? Uh, if, if the hours don't match up to right hand, why would it be as good as right hand? Uh, I think when you think of singles, you think, well, my hands are doing the same thing. It's one hit, uh, you know, two hits per pulse if you're in 16th notes on each hand. It's, but it's not the same thing. One, your brain is leaning to the right side of your body. You're leading with your right hand. That is so different than leading with your left hand. So until you've put equal amount of times, no, you wouldn't be able to do it. And if you throw the Samba underneath, now... Where your right hand used to match up with your bass drum, now your left hand matches up with it. That throws your body off. So I would consider those to be totally different things. Then, to wrap back around to the question again, yes, you should be able to do it, but Mm. through practice. You shouldn't be able to do it easily. You should be able to do it because you worked on it, and you never know when... There's so many times where I'm playing something, I don't even notice it happening anymore, but I'll come around the drum set to the right of the kit with something pretty fast. I hit two kicks to buy me time or I play a paradiddle and then I come back around the kit left-hand lead. And it's only because I practiced exercises doing that, but now I have the freedom to do that. Yeah. I mean, the only question that you didn't include is, should you be able to do everything left and
0: right-hand lead? And only you can answer. I think only you as your own individual needs can answer that question. I tend to just focus on right-hand lead with combinations that might flip it. Mm -hmm. Um, but I don't, I don't practice like, let me do everything symmetrical that I can do with my right.
1: I agree. No, I I mean, I love seeing people that can do that, but that's, I'm still very right hand dominant on the drum set. I'm not Klaus Hessler. Uh, but when I see people do it, I'm like, ah, I wish I put more time into that, but it it has to be applicable for you. But no, you are not weird. No, you do not suck. (laughs) Keep going. Put in the hours. Dig it. All right. So All we right. could use a bunch more questions, so please send them in mdinfo at
0: com. If you feel inclined to do an audio question, that would be fun to get another segment in on that. Again, that's mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. All hey, right. It is the week time. Yeah, buddy. You so, want to go? Yeah, well, because I need to... I had it on my iPhone, but since we're using my iPhone for this chat, I've got to Google search it. <laughs> well, who's salty now. <laughs> okay, so... I'm picking an Instagram page that I am. Every post that he's put up, I think is super cool. So Mason Music, which is M A Y S U N dot music. If you're not following his channel already, he's a drummer from Montreal. Uh, drummer. I mean, that's probably short. Give him the short end of the stick. He's a producer. He's a composer. He's an experimental electronic acoustic artist. So check out his feed. He's he basically improvises. Drums with modular synths and sensory percussion, all kinds of just really interesting, cool stuff. None of it's for Flash, it's all just to create like really interesting textures and moods. It's one of my favorite players. So it's Mason.music. Um, we're going to drop in one of his most recent posts right now.
1: Pick of the week is the Reflex Practice Pad. Uh, I don't know how this has not been one of my picks of the week, or maybe it even has. I don't remember ever picking it, but uh, I'm not a Reflex artist. I just love the pad. Uh, Full disclosure, I am friends with the owner, Guy. But here's why I'm picking this. Right now, this is the coolest pad in the world. Like, if you you only lived on Instagram, you'd be like, oh, man, I guess you got to get this pad. How did he make the Practice Pad cool? Dude... How? Because it's How? it's a practice pad, <laughs> and it's, it's 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 not even cool. It's like a black pad with just white writing on it. I will say this: he, it's the same way that Annika made quintuplets cool. Just do it, man. Don't yeah. don't, don't don't look yeah. around. Don't yeah. worry about what anyone thinks. So the reason why I'm I'm making this my pick of the week, uh, it's been the pad that I've been using. I'm a practice pad nerd, meaning that, uh, or I would say I'm, I've got like a love for practice pads. Anytime a new one comes out, I buy it. I just like them. Um, But I think the best practice pad in the world is the one that you play. It doesn't matter what it is. If you said, well, I can't afford that. I've only got the real feel fine. If you put in the same amount of hours on it, you're going to be fine. Right? So the reflex pad, because it's cool, it makes you want to play it. Mm -hmm. You also get to play it a little bit more because one of the sides is extreme. Well, both sides actually, but they're extremely quiet pads. So, Mm Even though I think you could get the exact same amount of of progress out of that original Remo pad with the head, the gunshot pad. <laughs> yeah, you have to unfortunately rent a rehearsal space to practice with it because it's louder than a drum set. To be <laughs> so like an abandoned to, warehouse or something. It's lock out a room. Um, so I think you'll practice more because it's quiet. And then I would highly encourage you to use both sides. There's this weird thing where everyone tries to make things as hard as possible. Drums don't actually work like that. If you only play on the pad side of the reflex pad, that's hard to play on. It's going to be really hard for you to play delicate. So Mm. flip it over and play on the bouncy side and bring that volume way down and see if you can keep your tempo. Can you play double strokes at 200 BPM, but at whisper quiet? Well, Use some of the rebound snares, have rebound, hi hats have rebound. You're not playing on a full kit made out of 18 inch floor toms with 1970s hydraulic oil filled heads. (laughs) Are you? If you are, cool, damn. I have have a set of those at home, I'm waiting to set up. (laughs) Good. Well, you do that, I'll make an entire kit out of the smallest six inch uh rototom. Like, blah, blah, blah. anyways how much is uh, the reflex pad $69 on Chicago music exchange $69 on reverb.com fifth nope I lied $69 on Reflex's website so uh, literally it's called the CP1 conditioning pad and so it uh, is a thicker softer all overall right there is no like hard rubber version correct of it? there's two sides um, so there's a, a thick side or a, like a dead side and then there's a more bouncy side, but uh-huh. even that is still kind of wide open pores. It just has more rebound to it. Uh, every once in a while, if you just stay on top of Reflex's website, every once in a while he'll introduce colors quickly. Mm-hmm. They're in and out. Um, and uh, but yeah, it's it's awesome, and it is it's kind of like the it's the cool kid badge right now. You need know, yeah, to show yeah. up to the clinic. Like, like I unfortunately left mine in uh, in Scotland. And the, the drum shop that I left it at, all the employees who have been waiting to get a, uh, a reflex pad into their store took a picture of them just, like, fighting over it. <laughs> I was like, damn it. And, and like, literally, they just said, just so you know, we're not shipping this back to you. You left it. Boo-hoo. So I had to call guy, <laughs> and I'm hilarious. like, uh, I don't mind paying on the website, but do you have any in stock? Because they're always out of stock, you know? <laughs> Can um, I offer a poor man's alternative? Is yeah that cool so
0: can you see this yeah this is the vic Firth steve gad i don't know what it is 10 inch pad maybe eight inch mm-hmm. pad the underside is Dude. a neoprene surface that i only i have never practiced on the actual practice pad how side.
1: crazy is it that most bottoms of practice pads where they're trying to save your table yeah is the better side of practice yeah exactly totally. <laughs> well okay so now do you have a reflex pad no, I have the Steve. I'm poor man Steve Gad Vic okay. First Pad, man. So imagine that part that you've been playing on, but four times as thick, and it's bigger, right? How how big is it? Um, God, I think it's a twelve. Yes. No, it's yeah, it's a twelve. Yes. Um, so but it's so the only thing that I ran into doing the exact same thing that you were talking about because uh, the old Aquarian Super Pad what was it called? Not the Super Pad. They're old. The red one. Um, mm-hmm. That one, it had the same bottom. And eventually, if you accent enough, you hit the wood. Yeah, you know that's what, what I mean? this like, one does, too. So it, same it, thing. it's almost so,
0: like the, the governor, like, don't play too loud or you're going to be snagging right. the
1: wood. Yeah. So the reflex is thick enough that that doesn't happen. So if you are a heavy hitter, you can play on it and it's still going to be quiet. Um, it's I love it for a hotel room. So that's enough. I feel like we're doing a commercial for the damn thing. It's just a pick of the week. Get it. Don't get it. I don't care. <laughs> I'm sure guy's like, no, no, no. Why are you stopping? Keep talking about it. Yeah, keep talking. Whatever. It's a stupid... Use the side of your shoe. (laughs) (laughs) Come on. My grandparents had to play on the side of their shoe. We're burning hill both down. All right. Everybody, please, especially after this episode, head on over to iTunes. Give us a five-star rating. Throw down a review. We'd really appreciate it. Oh, man. And uh, I'll just see you next week, dude. We're going to let Luke... uh... (laughs) He actually told, told me how to pronounce his name, Farron.
0: Oh, what? Farron. Okay, he's a Mike's no. Lesson student. I've been butchering his name for a while. You know, he spells it Farron, Farron, Luke Farron. Anyway, I've said your name probably incorrectly five times, but this is his band, Raised on Zenith. Um, he's using, they say he's been spending a lot of time focusing on creativity using looping tools like Native Instruments Machine and other iOS apps. And he's applying that to his four-piece rock band so let's check out how he's integrating all that stuff in a rock setting thanks luke anyone has a beat send it to mdinfo at modern drummer.com please send it as a dropbox or some other downloadable form um, and we'll get you in the show thanks for checking it out